Good evening. It's Wednesday evening, and I really like to share something about health on Wednesday evenings. I wanted to read a little chapter out of this book by Norman Walker. He was a doctor of science and so forth. It's titled Become Younger. He was a member of the National Medical Society, the International Society of Naturopathic Physicians, the National Association of Naturopathic Herbalists, and British National Society of Herbalists. And this chapter is titled, this was chapter 10 on food combinations. I'm picking it right out of the middle of the book. I'm cherry picking. The greatest friend of old age are fermentation and putrefaction. The greatest friends of old age. Both these are natural processes of disintegration. That is why they speed up the aging of people. Some fermentation is a result of constructive destruction, but putrefaction is definite degeneration and has no place in the plan to become younger. Germs and bacteria were created by nature to break down and disintegrate waste matter. They're not in the least bit harmful of themselves. It is the end product, the sewage of their colonization in the presence of excessive putrefaction that causes the trouble. In the preparation of our meals, every food present, I'm sorry, every food present represents a chemical combination of elements, atoms, and molecules according to a plan of nature. When these foods are composed of raw vegetables and fruits, the elements composing them are vital, organic, live, live elements. They can be combined in any desired mixture. Any such mixture is beneficial. The elements combined in a natural manner and the result is beneficial. Now that's his, his opinion. I've heard many people say that you shouldn't mix certain foods with other foods, such as foods that digest quickly with foods that digest slowly and that sort of thing. Fruits and vegetables should be done separately. But maybe that's not what he's talking about. Let's just continue on here. When the foods are processed or cooked, however, the elements composing them have become devitalized. This applies to all foods. The starches, grains, and sugars belong to the alkaline category, even though they create an acid reaction in the body when eaten. Well, that's interesting. Starches, grains, and sugars belong to the alkaline category, even though they create an acid reaction in the body when eaten. In the process of digestion, they require the action of the alkaline digestive juices. Oh, okay. So because they require the digestive al um, alkaline juices, then it ends up bringing alkaline, alkalinity. The concentrated proteins, meat, fish, fowl, eggs, and dairy products, belong to the acid category and require the acid digestive, digestive juices. Okay. When the starches, grains, and sugars, generally spoken of as the carbohydrates, are eaten, during the same meal in which any protein is included. Ah, here we're going to talk about combinations. Okay. So when starches, grains, and sugars, or carbs, are eaten during the same meal in which any protein is included, we have a serious chemical situation to contend with. The digestion of the carbohydrates is interfered with by the presence of the acid material. And at the same, that makes sense because they require alkaline digestive juices, right? And the protein's digestive acidity creates a problem. At the same time, the digestion of the proteins remains incomplete 
in the presence of the alkaline digestive juices. The result is fermentation of the carbohydrate and the putrefaction of the protein foods. In other words, they're rotting meat. Oh. These results are very definite and real and not mere fantasy or theory. They've been proved far too often to leave any room for doubt in the mind of any but those who love their meat and potatoes so inordinately that they become blinded to the facts. There could be no better proof to my mind than the case of a man who recently came to this town to benefit from my researches. He was of British origin and few meals were complete for him unless they included meat and potatoes and frequently Yorkshire pudding. About a year ago, he had a stroke which was followed within a comparatively short time by three more. They left him bereft of speech and unable to walk. Orthodox treatments in his hometown and state left him progressively worse until he decided to come here, unable to control his bladder or bowels. On arrival here, I took him to the doctor who cares for my students. As usual, the program was a rigidly strict one of colonic irrigation, quantities of fresh juices daily, raw vegetables and fruits, and positively no starchy sugar or protein foods. No starchy, sugar, or protein foods. Sorry, those three categories, not two. In three months' time, he was able to talk quite coherently and walk around a little without the aid of even a cane. His British appetite made his wife's life miserable. He wanted some meat and potatoes. I told him the chances were that if he did eat such a meal, in about three days he would rue the day he was born. Some friends came to visit them the following week, and he begged to be able to join them in what he called a real meal. All right, I said, go ahead if you want to. It's your body. And if you want to suffer the consequences, don't ask anybody for sympathy. I shall simply come around next Wednesday and gloat over your misery and lack of sense. They all went to a restaurant famed only by publicity. For its dinners and he ate a small piece of meat, some potatoes, a little bread, and a small piece of pie. I met him quite by accident on the following Monday, and he was jubilant when he saw me. See, Doc, I told you it would not do me any harm. I feel like a million. I said, fine. I'm glad to hear that. I will remind you of it when I, when I see you Wednesday, the after tomorrow. When I went to their apartment on the appointed day, he was writhing on the bed, crying like a child. We took him to the doctor who was caring for him, for his colonic irrigation, and for nearly a whole hour... The gas that poured out of him and the putrid odor of the waste matter washed out of his colon were an object lesson which his wife should never forget as long as she lives. I reminded them both that I had warned them that, particularly in his condition, breaking over the traces would do him no good and the incompatible combination of the foods he was craving would have exactly the effects we were witnessing. One thing in this life that I shall never be able to understand is the fact that a chemist of all people whose intensive education was closely woven into an understanding of the effect of a combination of chemicals would not dream of the incompatible mixtures in his laboratory that he daily pours into his body. Here's a drawing here of um, his intestines that Norman Walker did. And some places the... Um, the colon that goes across the top, the transverse colon, is shrunken up and the lower right, beginning of the large colon, is huge. And then the 
let's see this see this is the hepatic um, curvature and so that would be the the one going down on the left makes a sharp turn and goes down then it's huge and then it's tiny like a pencil and then it's huge going out to the rectum oh my goodness and then there's a side picture of him with his belly just huge looks like uh, an apple body I had a chemist associated with me some years ago who had one of the most brilliant minds I've ever encountered so far as laboratory research was concerned. His profound knowledge of minerals, plant life, and chemistry in general was of inestimable value to me. He had degrees from foremost universities in this country and abroad. His opinion was accepted eagerly in the field of laboratory research. He was a little past 45 years old, but he looked more than 10 years older. All his life, he had eaten anything and everything, solid or liquid, that he wanted. For many years, he had suffered with stomach and heart trouble, with liver ailment and dysfunction of the kidneys. He was thoroughly orthodox in the matter of health and healing. And I believe he merely tolerated my research, my findings, and probably even me, because I paid him well. He complained often enough about his ailments, but he obstinately refused to listen. If I even mentioned that he could attribute them to the food he ate, and to the defective elimination of waste from his system. After three days' absence caused by his condition, I almost insisted that he drink some of the juices, that he, that he change his diet at least for a short while, and that he go and have a colonic irrigation. He bluntly told me to mind my own business. There was nothing radically wrong with him. The time would not cure, and that so far as his body and his life were concerned, it was his business, not mine. Before the end of the week, however, he had an attack of extremely acute pains. By telling him that, in my opinion, it might be cancer, that an x-ray would show the extent of the danger, he finally consented to have one made. The accompanying sketch, which is the one I just described to you, is an exact replica of the x-ray picture we took of his colon, and the profile facing it is an outline of his contour as accurately as I could make it. He disputed every indication that I pointed out to him and repudiated every conclusion that my experience led me to advance. He did admit, however, that for many years it did not matter how much he ate, he was always hungry. He would not make any change that I suggested, nor drink juices. Less than one year after the x-ray picture was taken, he joined the throng of victims of a system which tries to make life complicated. Even his pallbearers remarked, I saw him only the other day and he looked so healthy and strong, now suddenly he's gone. To confirm my reading of his x-ray picture, I asked that an autopsy be permitted the lowest circulation of the ascending colon was a mass of worms. This accounted for his unsatisfying hunger. The ascending colon itself was coated with a thick wall of hard fecal impaction, nearly one inch thick, the result of improper elimination of probably 25 or 30 years standing. At the hepatic flexure, where the ascending colon turns into the transverse, there were ulcers and much inflammation, which indicated the disturbed condition of his liver. A little further, the disrupted condition indicated trouble every time that any fecal matter passed this particular point. This part had a corresponding relation to the heart, because as you know, we have nerves all along our colon that relate to every part of our body, and clearly indicated where his heart set up a reaction at such a time. Halfway across the transverse colon is the region corresponding to the stomach. Here, much deterioration was evident, and we can understand the source of his stomach trouble. Ulcerations in the middle of the descending colon, the region corresponding to the kidneys, 
indicated some of a dysfunction of these organs. When we examined the kidneys, however, we found much advanced deterioration due to his use of alcoholic beverages, something of which I was not aware while he was alive and working with me. Imagine a man in his middle 40s, the prime of life with a brilliant mind, the prospects of an enviable career ahead of him suddenly snuffed out of his life because of his one-track mind and bullheadedness. It's a pitiable and lamentable fact that the vast majority of people simply dig their graves with their teeth and eat themselves into their graves. This in spite of the superabundance of knowledge and proven facts we have today that by studying with an open mind the simple means and methods which nature has made available to every one of us we can not only defer a premature demise, but actually become younger by putting these into practice. I have found that the correct selection and combination of foods is extremely important if we want to become younger. I've made a valuable food combination guide, which appears in my book, Diet and Salad Suggestions. Study it and follow it if you would become younger. I have that book, Diet and Salad Suggestions. He's got an amazing, like almost 100 different kinds of salads. And his salads are made in such a way that you don't use any salad dressing, but they're very flavorful and easy to chew. Because uh, the uh, the Norwalk juicer was invented by him, actually. And it the way that it would, first of all, you put the food through um, a grinder, and it came out where it broke up the cell walls of the vegetables and fruit matter so that the, in the nourishment in the cells of the fruit and vegetables was accessible to your body for digestion. Then you would put it uh, into a cloth and fold that up and put it into a press and press the juice out. So the juice from the Norwalk juicer, it's like four or $5,000 for this juicer. It's pretty big. It takes some work to use. But uh, when he would make his salads, oftentimes he would simply put through the grinder and then layer those different things that were ground up. And um, it was really nourishing. You might think it was just a plate of glop but actually you know it was pretty good and um you feel good after eating one of his salads <laughs> so the norwalk juicer and norman walker yeah all right thank you for joining me for this and i don't know if i'll read any more out of this book or not we'll see if something strikes me later on it has a lot of good information we may here and there do that but uh okay have a good evening and i'll see you in the morning for our bible reading